This episode is brought to you by Mermaid Hair. This is Outspoken, the podcast that's not afraid to say exactly what you're thinking. Our names are Amy, Kate and Sophie Torber. We're identical triplets, but we often don't have identical opinions. So sometimes things can get heated. Outspoken covers all things reality TV, influencers, entertainment and issues facing women. That is so fetch. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Outspoken. Now on today's episode, we're going to be speaking about all things career and how you get your big break in the industry. Now for a bit of background for new listeners, we are all journalists. We've been working in the industry now for about 10 years in a range of different roles and we've had a few people write in asking us to speak about how you get your foot in the door and how you get noticed. And it's not just all about journalism. I suppose these tips that we're about to give you sort of relate to all fields. And we we wanted to start by talking about how important it is to just basically get a first-time job. Yeah, we were talking about it a little bit earlier and we were referring to it as your shit kicker job. Yeah. So starting out, obviously not everyone's going to have experience. So you're going to have to go and work in hospitality or at the movies or at the supermarket. And those jobs are actually so much fun. Yeah, it's amazing because it's so funny. When we were studying journalism, we had our little shit kicker jobs and we, we actually all worked at the same place. So we had hospitality jobs and you think that these jobs are going to be really easy compared to sort of the complex things that you're studying and they actually turn out to be quite difficult. I feel like we're saying shit kicker jobs, but I feel like these jobs are really imperative to building up those skills that they, that you're then going to use in your career. So we started off at a bakery and it really taught you that there's a lot of dickheads in the world yeah. and a lot of power hungry people because it isn't some of these businesses where egos are at play from an early age. Do you know what? It also teaches you from a perspective of Sophie and I now now working in PR, it sort of teaches you how to talk to people because you're the face of that business when you're selling those products and you've got to be so nice. Like did anyone used to, sorry, did anyone else used to have a work voice? Yeah, and I definitely did and I could feel myself being so nice. It was actually quite exhausting. Mm. And I remember back in the day when, you used to get your mum to do everything, so you wouldn't want to make a phone call. Like I remember between the three of us fighting about not wanting to make a phone call, and I feel like those sorts of jobs, as you said, make you interact with more people and also make you have to actually do things that you don't want to do, so making mm-hmm. phone calls, which sounds so trivial now, but there's lots of adults that don't actually like talking on the phone either. And also putting up with rude people is another one, not only customers, but I feel like in these hospitality jobs, there are a lot of, there's a lot of struggles to be the top dog in those jobs. And I know we used to all work at a cafe and we used to work with this guy who was so scary, who used to make the coffees. He was kind of compared to the soup Nazi in Seinfeld. So a lot of people (laughs) called him the coffee Nazi. He actually is so lovely. We caught up with him after the working there but he was just so scary at the time being a 21 year old I remember having to go to the bathroom and cry because I think I got an order wrong or something and that is so crucial though those moments where that job isn't that important to you and you have to try and hold back those tears that really set you in good stead for you know times when we were in the newsroom and I felt like crying I just got a flashback to when I forgot to put someone's order in and just the horrifying feeling and thinking, okay, I can't do that again. I can't forget. I just have to do it straight away. Well, it didn't help that the people's order that you forgot to put through was some huge high-flying ice cream business. The no, owners of it. That didn't help. <laughs> but what annoyed me was, and I don't know why cafe owners do this, they make you take 
the order, like, but remember it. They don't let you write it down. I never understood that. Do you know what? Another lesson is that you should always not do something that you feel uncomfortable about. And that reminds me. So when I was at this cafe, they used to make some of the staff get a sieve. And basically what happened was ants got into their alcohol. And they didn't want to throw out the alcohol, so they got the st- the staff to sift out the ants. Oh my there gosh. was also another and incident. They where- should have said no. <laughs> well, how can you, though, when you're, you know, just mm. at the bottom of the chain? That would be really hard to say no. Well, there was also another incident where one of the waitresses, who was our colleague, spat in a customer's wine. So that was also a bit alarming. <laughs> well, well, what about... I ended up serving it to somebody because I thought she was joking. So I'm an accessory to that crime. Do you know what? I didn't even think we were, might be touching on this, but... I'm reflecting back, there was a guy there who everyone nicknamed Happy Hands and he was an older gentleman that there used to be an ongoing joke that he would touch girls when they served him. So he would bring chocolates. Well, everyone had to wear an apron. So he would try and tuck a chocolate into your pocket of your apron. And now reflecting on that 10 plus years on, the bloody owner of the place should have done something about that because every girl felt really uncomfortable, but it was just this ongoing joke that you could just be sexually harassed by this guy and it was a part of your duty. What a good introduction to the working world. Here's an old man that's going to sexually harass you, isn't that? That's probably quite relevant to most workplaces. Well, moving on to maybe some of the more positive things, I think that having a job at a young age like that really teaches you a sense of responsibility as well because, you know, you've got got your roster, you've got to be there on time, you've got to have your uniform organised and those are all the fundamental things you need for your career going forward. The funniest thing was we all used to work in a pub together and they had a system to sign in where you had to put your fingerprint. So if you were like one minute late, which we run late to everything, unfortunately. So you're making me sound like a dick. I'm like, oh, it's so important to be yeah, on time. No, but this was really good because you had to be on time. Otherwise, your pay was docked. And a lot of people thought that we have the same fingerprint because we are triplets and no, we do not because we couldn't sign in. So sometimes one person would be driving and the other person would run out and then get more money for their shift if the other person was late. Well, the other point I thought was important to segue into is doing internships when you're at university, because while it's important to have a part-time job to earn extra money and get that responsibility, it is so important while you're at uni to actually have experience and contacts in the field that you want to work in. And I feel like you've, you've got to start early because as soon as you leave uni a lot of people don't realize that you have insurance when you're at uni so that insurance covers you to work at these different places so once you leave you're no longer covered and people won't take you on board also i don't i mean i know the journalism industry is extremely competitive and i assume that other industries would also be like that and i just don't get people that don't do internships during uni because that's when you build up contacts because so many jobs have come up where people are like I mean, I know working formally at the 36s, it used to be like, oh, we've got this job, but, you know, we don't really want to spend money hiring for it. And then you'd be like, oh, well, I know this intern that came in, let's give them a job. But Mm. even on another level, I mean, I've had people send in applications to Amy and I for work experience or for a job, and you look at their resume and they've literally got nothing on there. And it's a little bit disheartening because it does make you think, oh, what is their work ethic like? Are they just cruising through uni with no care? Well, that's a funny thing because I think when you're at uni, you're in such a bubble where you think, okay, so my whole aim is to get this degree. And once I get it, that means I'm going to then get out of into the real world and get my dream job. But I'm sorry, 
that rarely happens. That's and especially that- if you have no contacts or no experience but- backing you up, because that's literally just a prerequisite. They just tick, yep, degree. And that's, that's when, it. and the second you leave uni, that is when the real work starts because you have got to make yourself appealing. Yeah, well, let's go into the reality of actually getting that big break and getting your first job that you've got qualifications for. So with us, trying to get a job in the journalism world is so difficult. Yeah, well, we were lucky enough because Sophie actually won the news night at uni. So there was a night where every all the journalism students that do broadcast journalism create their own news package. And Sophie likes to remind us that she won. Our group won, though. I yeah, did together. win. Thank yeah. you for the $500 from Channel 7 back in the day. <laughs> well, anyway, so Sophie won and she got in touch with Grant Heading, who was the news director at Channel 10. And kindly, and I think on mum's advice, she let she also put in a good word for Amy and I. And that was a bit of a mistake on my behalf. That's something I've learned from, that you should never, ever offer your opportunity up to other people. Well, let's be fair. We had, so just, <laughs> No just, offence. Just to back what we were saying, though, we all had done work experience at 10. And I think they were pretty interested in the idea of having triplets in the newsroom. So we started off writing the weather. Now, I don't want to spoil the illusion that the weather presenter doesn't write their own stuff. But at this particular network, they didn't write their up dates another one of our jobs was to listen to the scanners now all media stations have a scanner which listens into well it used to be up you used to be able to listen to police but now it's just ambulance and that's where you pick up a lot of your stories from seeing what's happening there and I had to get up every Saturday and Sunday morning be there by seven o'clock and that really did teach me a level of responsibility and sacrifice because you couldn't go out on the weekends and do anything. Gosh, that was so stressful listening to the scanners because you would then, something would come through, but a lot of the time the police would like to hide what it is. So sometimes there would be a specific code that maybe is like a car crash and a fatality, but then you have to ring up police media and be like, uh, like try and get it out of them, what's actually happening. And it's so stressful because you're then sending crews out to that scene But if you don't and you think, oh, no, it's nothing and everyone else gets it, then you're in big trouble. What a huge responsibility, though, to give people that are on work – well, not work experience. We were kind of young people. We were the shit kickers there. Well, the funniest thing was, though, some of the chief of staffs would come in on the weekend and they were usually some of the younger reporters and they would be so hungover. They'd be (laughs) just lying on the floor and they'd just be like, you were right up there doing it. You'd be like, yep. (laughs) One of the other jobs that we all used to do at Channel 10 and then also I used to do it at Channel 7 and so did Sophie was doing the auto queue. God, I I was an auto queue operator for many years. Now now that is a stressful job because so the news, as many people would know, is live. So at Channel 10, because it's an hour bulletin. This, people would be getting their scripts in late. So the journalists would be finalizing their stories whilst the bulletin's running. So you're having to print the updated scripts because if the auto cue system fails, then the presenters have their script there. But you also then, if it fails, have to flick on the backup auto cue. Yeah. Oh. And it's like, and it was, yeah, I, I actually kind of enjoyed it. I feel like I was a bit of a pro oh at my, the auto cue. Oh, I have to say I was the ultimate pro because at channel 10 as well, you had to have full stops at the start of every intro. Otherwise it would not show up. Mm. So you had to be so meticulous with everything. And yeah, that, I mean, it, as shit as that job was, it did teach you a lot about even you had to watch the news every night and just seeing the formulation of of the bulletin, what stories came first, the LVOs. So I feel like every job really does teach you something. You should never feel like you're above doing anything. Mm. Oh, definitely. And then moving into, I suppose, getting the big break 
what we're saying is we worked at these networks in these roles that I suppose were very undesirable at the time. But what that gives you is the ability to make friends with the other reporters there. So contact making is so important. So what got me my big break at seven working at Today Tonight was the fact that I knew one of the ex-reporters who used to be at Today Tonight. He'd moved to 10 and he told me that there was a job going as a researcher. So it really is true. It's all about who you know, not what you know. But it honestly is. So that's really good for people because just remember you should be nice to everybody because Mm. even in the journalism world there were so many times where uh when you know when I was working as a reporter interns would come in and some reporters wouldn't give them the time of day because I think they were scared that they were going to take their jobs but I made an effort just to be nice to everybody and a lot of those interns that came in are now working at different networks interstate and they're fantastic contacts but even even away from that like the people like the security guards that you deal with or the cleaners or people with different jobs too it's important to treat everyone with the same level of respect because those people particularly the security guards, they're the ones who hear everything. So I remember they would always let me know if they were looking for someone new or if there was any gossip that, you know, would be hilarious. It's funny now in my mind, looking back at nearly all of the jobs I've had, it has been through knowing people and Mm. forming those relationships. I mean, even yesterday I got a call from a reporter that I worked with in my former job saying, hey, if there's anything happening, I'll, I'll let you know. Like, it's really great having those connections with people and yeah as you said so important to treat everyone equally because there are those times when you're going to be above someone but it doesn't mean that you actually are above them and can't speak to them and be nice to Mm. them and that's where we really do go back to the point of work experience during uni and why it is so essential to build up those contacts and connections while you can The other important thing is to make yourself irreplaceable at work. So you want to learn how to do everything. So when I was at Today Tonight, I knew how to do all the social media stuff. I knew how to shot list. I I purposely learned how to do all the technical things because I was working with some people that were older than me. So I was, for some reason, I was the computer whiz in the office and people would come to me and ask me questions. So I think that really is an important skill. Something I've picked up along the way is that it's always older men that assume young girls know how to use the printer. Yeah, like I, I always I used to have to print constantly. stuff for journalists. Yeah, and also that you know that you should get them cups of coffee. Like I know we're mm. saying that you should do that. No job should be too little for you to do, but you've also got to know your limits as well. I remember going to a women in media event, and Sandra Sully was there, and she gave this amazing speech. And she, I remember she said when she was working in production, somebody asked her to get them a coffee, and she said no. She said it was the best thing she did because it set the scene because that wasn't actually in her job description. So I think that's really great advice because if someone's trying to, I suppose, demean your job in that way, and I feel like they asked her because she was a woman as well. If you say yes, they're going to make you do it all the time. But people do respect if you do say no. Well, I used to find that because when I was starting out at 10, every Friday we'd have Friday night drinks and nibbles and stuff and it was my job to go and collect them, then to wheel this big ice bucket over and put everyone's alcohol in it. And I found that it kind of did put me at a beneath everyone mm. somewhat and the people just expected that you then weren't, you know, going to go on and be a journalist, that that was your role. So you have got to time how long you want to be in those roles for because personally I feel like I stayed in those lower positions for longer than I should have. Yeah, yeah and I think that's also a good point because, Amy, when you were talking about how you have to make yourself irreplaceable and you know take on all these different things sometimes it can actually be to your detriment as well because I remember in my job at the Thunderbirds and I took on the role as a communication manager but because a lot of the sporting clubs have very small budgets they don't have 
a videographer and a marketing manager and a social media person and a media person. It's all into one job. So you end up making yourself so irreplaceable that when a promotion comes around, they actually are too scared to promote you because they know that you can do everything. So it's a really good, it's a really hard balancing act because then you end up having to then move into another job that's more of a promotion and then they end up losing all those skills. That is such a good point. And I think that's the next tip is you should know when to leave a job because if you're not being taken seriously and you know that there's no way they're going to promote you because they're comfortable having you do all that, all the other tasks that you do, you need to go, okay, well, where am I going to get that promotion? That's exactly what I did. So I moved on from the Thunderbirds and got a job at the 36ers doing media because that's what I wanted to do. So that was like one of my tiny small roles beforehand, but that's what I wanted to focus on. But it's a really good point you bring up because there are a lot of people that are so loyal at their job. And of course, that is a great thing. But there's a point when you've got to realize that often that loyalty is not given back to you. And mm-hmm. I, we have all experienced that firsthand that you, in a lot of places, are just a number. Replaceable as well. And as soon as something happens and you know, they're just going to get rid of you no matter how much extra work you've put in. Yeah, well, just going off the back of your story about moving from the Thunderbirds to the 36ers, I did the same thing at seven. So I knew that there were no further job opportunities at Today Tonight. That had basically been spelt out for me that there was no way I was going to get promoted from my job as a researcher um, producer and that I needed to look into news. So that's why I made the move into the newsroom. And I was lucky enough to get the cadetship there, even though I was too experienced to do it. I've been working in Today Tonight for three years, but I knew that's where the career progression was. So I made that move. The same thing happened to me because I was doing freelance reporting at 10, but my main role had turned into doing auto cue and writing weather. And I was so frustrated because I'd been at 10 for about five years and it came to the stage where I had to make the difficult decision to just get rid of that job and try and work my way into Channel 7, where I was also doing some work at the time. And It was the best thing I ever did because just moving away from that role that I'd outgrown, it put a different light on me. And our news director um, at seven, he was really happy because he didn't want me working at both stations anyway. So then he saw me as a journalist as opposed to just someone doing auto cue. Now, talking about moving around at different networks or different organizations, one thing that I think is so important for young people to look into is their employment contract. Yeah. Now, you really need to either have a lawyer look over or even a parent that knows what they're talking about because you're normally so excited when you get this contract and you're just so happy to get the job and you don't think people are going to screw you over. So you're like, yeah, 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 that's all fine. But there are so many loopholes that employers use. So And you don't even think of them at the time. So, for example, one thing is to make sure that in your contract – you know what award you are under. You know if you're entitled to toil, which is a time off in lieu or overtime. Also, is there space for you to get a pay rise? Because some companies go, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do a pay review. But they don't actually think about inflation or all these or how long you've been there. And a lot of time you get in there and you've been there for like two years and you ask for a pay rise and they say no. These are smaller organizations because I know a lot of government and 
other industries I know have really set things. But this is something that I've experienced in my career that's been really annoying. Yeah, well, and going into jobs, for example, jobs in journalism, everyone is just so pleased to get a contract that they'll just sign whatever because it is such a competitive industry. But your contract does come to bite you in the ass sometimes. And that's the interesting thing. There have been so many job losses in the journalism industry and communications, and it's getting to a point where it seems like employers would prefer to hire people on a contract so like as a contractor say because they don't have to pay out annual leave or long service leave or sick leave or anything like that and literally they can get rid of you whenever they want so that's very convenient at the moment and I can see it moving more in that direction so for those people that may be getting into contract work I think it's so important to have that contract set in place and know what it means as well. Yeah, and you should also know your worth because especially if people are listening who are doing journalism degrees, I just want to let you know there is not a heap of money in journalism, No, there's heaps of money in other comms areas. Not that I've ever been employed in one of those areas. But, <laughs> but government, yeah, government roles. Some of the pay in so, those. And I know that sounds terrible because I went into journalism wanting to tell people stories and because, you know, I thought it would be a really fun job and all of that kind of thing. I never really went into it saying, oh, I want to earn heaps of money. But at the end of the day, you do have to take into account when you're doing an incredibly difficult stressful job you do want to be compensated for your time so people going into journalism got to think well do I really like the writing side like would I enjoy writing media releases for Mm. the government well if you do good news for you because you get paid a lot to do that would I enjoy earning $120,000 as opposed to $40,000 yeah (laughs) so that's the reality some reporters at some of the stations are earning about 45000 if you're at a station that doesn't rate as well as other stations. This is not to put anyone off because no, it no. is a – I think the journalism degree is a great degree to have, especially – well, I suppose – There's now a lot of social media degrees happening too, but I think a lot of people think if you do media or marketing, you can do so many things. Like there are so many different cool opportunities that you can get involved in. Before we move too far along, can we talk about some of the things that people do wrong Mm -hmm. and that we've seen people do wrong or that we've done wrong (laughs) ourselves? Yeah. Now, one that springs to mind is people being a little bit too eager now (laughs) oh my gosh I had an intern like this well when Amy and I were at seven there was an intern who ended up getting banned from interning at any other work uh, any other news station because he was he almost turned into a bit of a stalker didn't he Amy oh it was he was actually such he was really nice I kind of took him under my wing as I said I really like to be nice to the work experience people and it was so funny because um, he went out on a story with me and then when we got back to the station he said to me oh do you reckon I could get a photo at the news desk? And I was like, well, yeah, why not? So I took all these photos (laughs) at the news desk. That would just be something that one of us would get stuck doing. Yeah. I could just imagine. But anyway, then the next day he put them all on his Facebook profile and he said he worked at seven. Oh no. And then everyone was like, how the hell did he get in there and have all those photos taken? <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't they have vision? Like, there's always security oh, cameras. They wouldn't have gone back to look. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I was like, oh, shivers. But didn't he also, He there was a weather lady there and he literally knew, like, everything about her, like, every detail. Well, he went out mm. and bought an autocue machine for himself. He used to run what? his own news service, which, do you know That's what? Dedication. Props to him. He is actually working as a journalist yeah. now and he's doing really well. Yeah, well, talking about interns, maybe don't hire one that's potentially going to date your sister. No, I'm just joking. My One of my interns at the Thunderbirds ended up dating Sophie and is now her boyfriend. I think isn't, that, isn't that a good thing then? That's yeah, been, exactly. I was just joking. It's so funny though. That's been well documented in this Yeah, podcast, that's well documented. Sorry, that's old news. 
do you know what you know you're talking about mistakes that people do and people being too eager it's funny because when we were at uni we always used to have guests come in and you know reporters or producers or news directors and they used to talk about what they like to see from people wanting a job in the journalism industry and they always claim that they love being bugged because it shows persistence uh, persistence and all of that kind of thing but it's funny because I remember someone saying that they loved getting a job application that had a tea bag stuck to it and it said now wait they like this or yeah they yeah yeah they love this i thought it was so creative that someone said now have a cup of tea while you learn while i should get this job and i thought how late do, do you know what the funny thing is whenever we got people applying for internships or jobs we always stalk them on Facebook. And I think mm. make sure your Facebook is looking good and the things that you want private are private because some girl that wanted an internship, she had all this like crude things on her profile and her giving the finger. And I'm like, why the hell would we give you an internship? <laughs> but it's so funny though, but sometimes people look really normal when they come in and they're just so not right for the job. I or- think the other basic is just to not have your resume riddled with errors and to get oh. the people's names right. I mean, there's nothing worse than addressing something to the wrong name. I think if you don't have much to mention on your resume, you should just keep it brief and sharp and snappy because it's better to mention less than mention all these random things that have nothing to do with the role. I still remember when I was at the Thunderbirds, I got an intern and she applied and put a photo of herself on the resume and she also put down that she worked at some sort of promo modeling place and I'm not trying to be rude but when she rocked up she looked completely different and she could not have given less of a shit about the job it was literally just to tick off at uni that she had done an internship but that's just to get all the seedy men wanting her to come in isn't it do you know what no this was at the thunderbirds do you know what's funny talking about people who put their photos on job applications i do remember at that cafe that we used to work (laughs) at this lady put her photo on the job application and they're like well she looks all right yeah we'll put her in so it depends what job you're going for i remember working at the bar we used to work at i think someone applied with their photo and immediately it was torn up because everyone thought it was so up themselves and they didn't want to work it, with someone like that were so. they were they were they quite good looking or uh i actually didn't see the photo oh, so okay. i can't comment it's definitely a bold move putting a photo on because at the end of the day we're in a social media era people are just going to look you up anyway can i, I think- can i make an obvious comment and i and i'm just going to make it because I helped out someone with a resume and they were applying um <laughs> and they got the job <laughs> well yeah they got the job but Basically, they were applying for a job at a sporting club. and It wasn't me. This is not Kate. (laughs) And they actually played this particular sport where they went for the job. Let's just say for the, the podcast, it was a baseball club. They played baseball for 15 years. They did not mention in their cover letter or on their resume that they had played baseball. And I said, hey, have you thought about saying that you play baseball? They got the job. Well, that's the thing. I think people want to know, well, organizations want to know that you are actually passionate about what they do or know what they do. So I had I heard some great advice on a podcast where it says in your cover letter, actually say, start off by saying, oh, I'm really impressed by this project that you worked on or this that you do or this about yourself. And it makes you actually look like you want the job there, not this is your 100th cover letter and you're just over it, which is often what you feel like when you're applying for jobs. Now, that leads to another thing that I wanted to bring up was the fact that you should, I mean, this might sound obvious, but some people do it. You should never come into an internship or a job and criticize your boss or what they've done. And for instance, there was a girl we used to go to uni with 
And at the said job she went for, she completely said, I could do this better. This is no good. I think people people don't want you to come in there and pretend like you know everything. I don't They're know. not going to be impressed by that. I've heard that that's actually, I've heard people saying that as a tip. That well, would that you impress should... you if someone messaged us and said, that would piss oh, me off. Oh, here's a heads up. No, this isn't good no, enough. No, it would not impress me at all. And the other thing as well is that what I found working at um, seven and different newsrooms is that a lot of interns would come in and they would act to the camera guys one, as if the camera people were beneath them, and two, that they knew everything and they didn't need any help. At any age, whatever age you are, you always can learn new things. So you never should pretend that you know it all. And you should always ask questions along the way. And try and find common interests with everybody that works there. I mean, the cameramen are your best friends working there. That's who you're going to travel around with every day. And and, and they're the ones that put the journos forward for jobs. Any journalism students that are listening, be nice to your cameramen because they're going to make you look good on camera. And they're also going to gossip about you behind your back and tell the news director if you're any good. Well, just in general for any intern, even if it's not in the media industry, just don't be awkward. Because, I mean, I was that awkward person that was so shy, (laughs) that didn't know what to say or do. And literally, when I was, I think it was in Channel 10 newsroom, sat in the corner and waited for them to take me out. And some days I didn't get taken out anywhere and I had to pretend to read the newspaper for eight hours. I should have shown initiative and gotten up and said, hey, can I please go out? Or, hey, can I see what you're doing? But so I know it's hard because I've been there before. So learn from me. But have some initiative, be confident when you're there. That's so true about initiative. And I know this is very specific to news, but if you can come up with a story idea, mm, make definitely. sure it's a good one, but come up with one and tell the chief of staff. Now, we also said we were going to talk about what happens when you get your big break, but then things change. And as we touched on, we've all had that moment where we've been in our dream job and then it's it's all changed for various reasons. It's turned to shit, basically. That's right. It's all turned <laughs> to shit. And so we're going to give you the first-hand tips because we all now work for ourselves. And I must say, it's the best job I've ever had. And that's I'm the, the best boss I've ever had. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing, though. Sometimes you can think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to you, but it can turn into the best thing that's ever happened to you. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely get stuck in a job. So for me, I felt very trapped in a job that I was in. And unfortunately, the decision was made to make me redundant. We won't go into that. But it is a bit of a wake up call because you can be so loyal to a place, as I was saying before, and then you're just cast aside like you're nothing. Okay. And I've told you that in the past, haven't I? That you should not be loyal. And do you know what irritates me is when you see people who are working in specific jobs and I won't go into specifics, but when they are so loyal to that person that they will turn on another person as well. Oh, don't even get me started yeah. on that. And you're like, they're going to throw you under the bus next. Yeah, exactly. If so, if they're willing to do it to one employee, they're going to mm. do it to every employee. But do you know what? The great thing to come out of negative experiences like that, that we've all been through is you are your performance. So if you are good at your job, you are going to have impressed people along the way. It might not be the employer that's kicked you to the curb, but someone else will reach out to you and give you a lifeline, which is what we have all experienced in our now self-employed careers. And at the end of the day, you don't want to work for someone who doesn't appreciate your skills. You're always going to find something new or some new place that is going to respect and appreciate you for what you do. Yeah. So I think the most positive thing about having your big break and and then I suppose losing that big break is it makes you reassess what your goals are, what you actually want to do, who mm. you want to work for. And I think that's the best thing ever. And 
The funny thing is we're all going to experience job changes throughout our life. I think the stats are that you're meant to have eight different jobs over your lifetime. So I think the best thing is to be able to pivot. Yeah. As is it Ross pivot, pivot. Yeah. <laughs> that is so true because yeah, I, I think you just get stuck in something and it's, it becomes easy and you know what to do and you get a little bit bored, but being bored is the worst feeling. Mm. And it is good to be forced sometimes to reassess because that's when good things happen. It is so true though. Even for, for instance, with Kate, you know, you moved on from the Thunderbirds to the 36ers and if you hadn't, you wouldn't have met your new boyfriend. Like you never know, even on a personal level, the new people that you let into your life because of these circumstances. And one final fun tip to end on is always find yourself a work husband or wife. They make work so much better. Oh my gosh. So my work husband, when I was at radio, his name is Dom and he's, (laughs) I don't want to age him, but I think he was in his fifties when I was there. And oh my goodness, he made work so bearable. We used to go on Wednesday lunch dates. Um, It's funny. I used to (laughs) We still do now. No, we still do. (laughs) He's a lifelong friend now. He is. He's a lifelong friend. I used to joke that people would think he and I were having an affair because we used to go on such long lunch breaks that um, we'd have to walk in different entrances because we didn't (laughs) want to let people know that we were having lunch because we felt bad if we were leaving out other I mean, people I'm in the office. I'm disappointed. I thought that I was your work wife. Well, I suppose you are now. Yeah, you have. You can have multiple ones. Well, the awkward thing for me is my work husband was Adam and he is the best guy, my, one of my best friends, and he was so funny. And when I left the Thunderbirds, that was the hardest thing because we were just inseparable. And then he got also got a job at Titanium Security Arena, which was where the 36ers play from. So we were like friends again at work, which was great. And then I also had Sophie's boyfriend kind of as my work husband when I went to the 36ers because we were always hanging out, which everyone thought was really funny. And then I might my boyfriend at work. So I've had so many You've had legitimate boyfriends, work husbands. <laughs> I don't think I've had a work husband. They're the best. Left out. They're the best. Yeah. They are. Well, thank you so much for listening and we hope we did give some valuable advice. If there is anything else you want to know, feel free to DM us at outspoken underscore the underscore podcast. Also, we'd love if you could join our Facebook community, which is Outspoken Podcast Community. And thanks so much for our sponsors, Mermaid Hair, who made this episode possible. For those who haven't tried it, they are bloody incredible for creating waves because I am hopeless with my hair straightener. And you feel like a mermaid. What what could be better? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Thanks again. And if you did enjoy this, we'd love if you could share it on your Instagram and tag us in it. Thanks again.